Isaiah chapter 41, reading from verse 1. Keep silence before me, O islands, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near, then let them speak. Let us come near together to judgment. Who raised up the righteous man from the east, called him to his foot, gave the nations before him, and made him rule over kings? He gave them as the dust to his sword, and as driven stubble to his bow. He pursued them and passed safely, even by the way that he had not gone with his feet. Who hath wrought and done it? calling the the generations from the beginning. I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am he. The isles saw it and feared. The ends of the earth were afraid, drew near and came. They helped every one his neighbour, and every one said to his brother, Be of good courage. So the carpenter encouraged the goldsmith, and he that smootheth with the hammer him that smote the anvil saying, It is ready for the soldering, and he fastened it with nails, that it should not be moved. But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend, thou whom I have taken from the ends of the earth, and called thee from the chief men thereof, and said unto thee, Thou art my servant, I have chosen thee, and not cast thee away. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Behold, all they that were incensed against thee shall be ashamed and confounded. They shall be as nothing, and they that strive with thee shall perish. Thou shalt seek them, and shalt not find them. Even them that contended with thee, they that war against thee shall be as nothing and as a thing of naught. For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Fear not, thou worm Jacob, and ye men of Israel. I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I will make thee a new, sharp, threshing instrument, having teeth. Thou shalt thresh the mountains, and beat them small, and shalt make the hills as chaff. Thou shalt fan them, and the wind shall carry them away, and the whirlwind shall scatter them. And thou shalt rejoice in the Lord, and shalt glory in the Holy One of Israel. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers in high places and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will plant in the wilderness the cedar, the shitta tree and the myrtle and the oil tree. I will set in the desert the fir tree and the pine and the box tree together. 
that they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord hath done this, and the Holy One of Israel hath created it. Produce your cause, saith the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, saith the King of Jacob. Let them bring them forth and show us what shall happen. Let them show the former things what they be, that we may consider them and know the latter things of them, or declare us things for to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that ye are gods. Yea, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and behold it together. Behold, ye are of nothing, and your work of naught. An abomination is he that chooseth you. I have raised up one from the north, and he shall come. From the rising of the sun shall he call upon my name, and he shall come upon princes as upon mortar, and as the potter treadeth clay. Who hath declared from the beginning that we may know, and before time that we may say, He is righteous, yea, there is none that showeth, yea, there is none that declareth, yea, there is none that heareth your words. The first shall say to Zion, Behold, behold them, and I will give to Jerusalem one that bringeth good tidings. For I beheld, and there was no man even among them, and there was no counsellor that when I asked of them could answer a word. Behold, they are all vanity, their works are nothing, their molten images are wind and confusion. Amen. May the Lord bless to us this reading from his word also. The comfort of the Lord's people in this world, the comfort of the Lord's people in this world is the central feature of all the Lord's dealings with his church. Satan is a deceiver. Sin is a destroyer. And the shame of what we once were and still are distresses us in this life until the Lord comes to apply his blood to our conscience and to comfort our hearts. Christ indeed sent us the great comforter when he returned to heaven. He sends his preachers to comfort the souls of his people with constant reminders of grace. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. As believers, our election is fixed. Our redemption is sure and unalterable. Heaven is not going anywhere soon. And our mansions are already prepared. The only open question for a believer is the duration of our pilgrim journey here upon earth and what troubles remain until we enter God's glory 
and our eternal rest. And here is what I can tell you. For the duration of those days, however long they may be, the Lord will have you comforted with regular news of Christ's gospel and foretastes of his victories and successes so that we might be at ease, secure and content under the banner of our Saviour's love as we make our way home to glory. Our time here lasts only as long as our work requires and we will serve our Master under the best terms and conditions imaginable. Like David of old, the psalmist, in his songs of degree or his hymns of ascent, which is another uh, uh, word, another way of describing the, 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 the hymns or the songs of degree. Like David, a believer progresses towards glory under a sense of personal unworthiness and trial. It is a feature of our continued existence in this fallen flesh. So that David opens his songs of degrees, his hymns of ascent in Psalm 120 saying, In my distress I cried unto the Lord and he heard me. And I'm going to be bold today and suggest that these moments when the Lord hears our cries, our distressed cries, are the moments of greatest blessing for believers. So that whatever our predicament, the Lord Jesus whispers in our ear, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. And today we shall continue to discover examples of how our Lord God actively encouraged the Old Testament saints using Isaiah's prophecy and how the words of this faithful seer, this faithful preacher still comfort the church in our own age still comfort individual believers like you and me. So my headings today are these, and they're, they're probably not the slickest or the most memorable headings that you've ever heard, but here they are nevertheless. My three headings today are, let me show you what I've done. Let me show you what I'm going to do. And let me show you what it means for you. So these are my three uh, headings today. Let me show you what I've done. Let me show you what I'm going to do. And let me show you what it means for you. So the first one is this. Let me show you what I've done. And you've probably guessed already that this let me show you 
is important, and it is. Because the whole argument here in this chapter, the whole argument that the Lord brings before us in the words of Isaiah, and it's the Lord God Jehovah who is speaking here. The Lord wishes to bring forward evidence of his deeds for the comfort of his people. And this is not a this is not a, a new thing or a surprising thing or an unusual thing. We discover from the beginning of the scriptures that the Lord would have his glory revealed. He would show himself to his people. He would tell his people of the works of his hand. Indeed, you'll remember we've been studying quite recently in the book of Joshua. Joshua says in Joshua chapter 4, when he took the children of Israel across the river Jordan, he set up memorials for this reason, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty. You see, the glory of God the might of God, the accomplishments of God, God would show to his people and indeed show to all the world as he will do. The Lord God is mighty. Paul, the apostle, many years later said of Christ's ministry, this is not a thing done in a corner. This is not a thing done secretly. This is not a thing that the Lord Jesus Christ had accomplished in coming into the world and preaching his gospel of the kingdom and, and, and performing his miracles and being seen of men and going to the cross. This is not a thing that was done in a corner. The ministry of Jesus was public. His miracles were done openly. His suffering and death on the cross institu instituted as it was by the, the Jews and conducted by Pilate, was notorious in the age and infamous. Christ's resurrection from the dead was a well-attested fact. And equally, the preaching of Christ's gospel to Jew and Gentile was widely known. Christ's work is to be openly declared. We are privileged today to be actively engaged in that same process. This goes back all the way to the days of the apostles. We preach publicly. We preach with an open door. We preach wherever and however using the facilities and the technologies that are available to us to all who will listen. We send it into the world. We broadcast it as widely as possible. Because by it, by this gospel preached and declared, by the works of Christ set before men and women of this world, the Lord our God gathers his elect, confirms believers in their faith, and condemns the unbelieving world. This is the double-edged sword. Just as Ehud had a double-edged dagger, so this scripture, this gospel, this preaching is the double-edged sword 
that both confirms and condemns as it is declared. So when the Lord says, let me show you what I've done, it is to confirm and encourage and once again to comfort his people that they might discern the Lord's hand in creation and in providence and in the unfolding history of salvation. What has the Lord done? Well, he tells us here in the opening part of this chapter, he raised up the righteous man. And I mentioned uh, in yesterday's little introduction some different suggestions as to the identity of this person. Some writers with good reason think that he's referring here, Isaiah is referring to Abraham. Some think it's a reference to uh, Cyrus, the king of Babylon. Some think that the apostle Paul is in view here. And some say, perhaps more properly, that it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever it is that is meant, and Isaiah does not tell us, and the Holy Spirit leaves it open, the point is this, that it is the Lord God Jehovah who raised up this man. God indeed called Abraham from Ur of the Chaldees and shows us that there was an election of grace, there was a purpose of salvation right back at the very beginning of the establishment of this nation of Israel. The Lord God did indeed choose Cyrus from Babylon and cause him to send the people back from their captivity and to restore the King, the, the, the kingdom of, of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. Paul was called from the inner circles of the Pharisees in order to preach the gospel in foreign lands. And Christ was called in the very inception of the covenant of grace, the everlasting covenant, in order to fulfill all the purpose of the Lord God Jehovah in the salvation of his beloved people. Christ was called. Christ was placed in that covenant role in order to fulfill the salvation of God's elect. To do the very will of God. To establish the family of faith. To maintain the line of prophets. Of, 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 of promise to enlarge the kingdom of God through the preaching of the gospel. All these things are accomplished by men and women chosen by God and all under this great first choice of the Lord Jesus Christ as surety of the covenant of peace. And who did all this? Who hath wrought and done it? To use the words of Isaiah here, who hath wrought and done it? Who's, who's worked all these things? Asks the Lord. I have called generations from the beginning. I the Lord the first and with the last I am he. This is a work of the eternal God and God is saying to his people by Isaiah setting before them in these words in this chapter, look at what I have done. It is the Lord's enduring purpose and gracious plan 
to gather his people from the beginning of time and fulfill his covenant purpose of saving his elect from their sins. And the Lord did all the work, leaving nothing outstanding and no more to be done. And also the Lord Jehovah speaks to the Lord Jesus Christ in this passage, addressing him as Jacob and Israel. Again, I referred to this briefly. These names were typically reserved for God's people. Jacob and Israel are often used typically to refer to the elect of God, the remnant people, the uh, 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 people of faith, the, the, the people that God has chosen from the foundation of the world. But here, intriguingly, it is applied to the God-man himself in order to emphasise the union that we have with Christ and Christ with us. That Christ has with all for whom he stands as surety and substitute. With no diminishing of equality with the Father and the Holy Spirit. With no diminishing of the essential glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. He became a servant to fulfil and do the will of God. He stood up in his covenant role for his bride. In his covenant office represented her. Even to the taking of her name and adopting her identity under the law. So that when the law came, when judgment came, when the wrath of God came. Searching out the elect of God that they might be punished as they deserved. They, it saw Christ. And he, bearing her guilt and punishment unto death, stood as substitute for her. And here too we learn how the Lord Jesus Christ was chosen by the Father to meet every righteous demand against his people. Our Lord Jesus Christ was from all eternity chosen to this service. And in the fullness of time, his father sent him to accomplish it. And his father supported and upheld him in it. So too, all those represented by Christ were chosen in Christ. In the eternal council, set apart from the rest of Adam's race. In the uh, uh, purpose of God for grace and ultimately for glory. Every promise made to Christ devolves from him to Christ's bride. All support given to the Saviour on the cross is dedicated also to the support of his bride in this life. In every way that our Redeemer was upheld in his sufferings, we shall be upheld in ours. Each of us can take and hold this promise given by God the Father to his Son and take it for our own personal comfort. What is given to Christ as head of his church 
is given also to his people in him as his body because of our union together with him. We, the church, have a concern and an interest in God's every promise to his son, in every gift and grace bestowed on our betrothed. We as heirs and joint heirs with him may claim every blessing. And not only has the Lord done this for our surety and for us, he promises us more. He says to us, let me show you what I've done. And then he goes on to say, and let me show you what I'm going to do. Because here we see another part of God's comforting resolve for his chosen people. Not only has Christ obtained victory for us through his successful representation, our Lord God has chosen to employ his church as a means to gather his elect from the kingdoms of this world and from the ends of the earth. Verses 15 and 16 explain this in pretty amazing language. He, he says there, Behold, I will make thee a new sharp threshing instrument having teeth. What a description that is, right in the heart of Isaiah. I will make thee a new sharp threshing instrument having teeth. Thou shalt thresh the mountains and beat them small and shalt make hills as chaff. Thou shalt fan them and the wind shall carry them away. The whirlwind shall scatter them and thou shalt rejoice in the Lord and shalt glory in the Holy One of Israel. This is a description of the church. It is described as a piece of agricultural equipment designed to thresh the crops and separate the grain from the chaff, the good from the waste. This is the church's role in evangelism, in preaching Christ to men and women and boys and girls that faith may be worked in the souls of sinners and men and women brought to repentance and faith. And yet we see from what the Lord says here, while the church is the tool, the design of that tool, the manufacture of that tool, its purposing, its success of the labour is the Lord's own work. As the prophet Jonah says, salvation is of the Lord. It always was and it always will be. And yet the Lord graciously employs the church as this new sharp threshing instrument having teeth. This is our gospel preaching role. The Lord's people don't take pride in their accomplishments beyond gratitude for being called to serve their master. There's no boast for the Lord's true church in big congregations or more baptisms or increased membership. That's not what the, the Lord's true church is about. Rather, 
it rejoices to thank God that salvation comes by his grace and that he should be willing to to use us and choose us and employ us for his glory that we might view his mercy and his grace and rejoice in it. Thou shalt rejoice in the Lord and shalt glory in the Holy One of Israel to be about this business of preaching Christ crucified. When the poor and the needy seek the pure water of grace, the Lord shall hear. The Lord will open rivers in high places and fountains in the midst of valleys. He will make the wilderness pools of water and the dry land springs of water. You see what this is saying? This is saying that as the Lord takes the message of the church, the message that it preaches, the message of Christ crucified, so he will effect powerfully the work of salvation for the blessing of his church, for the blessing of his people and for the gathering in of his saints. The Lord will plant a forest in the desert. He will bring into existence what previously did not exist. He will cause it to grow and prosper. Why? Well, what does he say? That they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this and the Holy One of Israel has created it. Brothers and sisters, do you see that all our salvation is the Lord's work? He has created us. He has redeemed us. He has brought us to know him in conversion and to receive the truth. He has caused us to dwell in the comfort of his grace. And he shall and must have all the glory. So the Lord says, let me show you what I've done. He says, let me show you what I'm going to do. And then finally he says, and let me show you what that means for you. Let me me briefly repeat what I said at the start. Seeing and knowing what the Lord has done for his church in election, in redemption. Seeing and knowing what he has done for us in covenant union changes us. It alters the way we think. Hearing the gospel, the the full gospel, the expansive gospel of what God has done for us in Christ changes the way we think. Seeing and knowing what the Lord is doing right now in the world as he employs his new sharp threshing instrument having teeth in order to gather his elect and bring them to faith sending forth preachers from Peter and Paul onward to confirm and encourage and comfort his people to discern the Lord's hand in the events of history and salvation. These things are a comfort to our souls. Let me ask you a question. 
Do you think that there is not enough people being converted right now? Actually, it is precisely the preordained and God-ordained number being converted as should be. Do you think that the world is overpowering the church and rendering it useless? Actually, the opposite is true. The church is ploughing the earth. It is cutting the wheat. It is threshing the corn. It is winnowing the chaff. The body of Christ is growing at exactly the rate it should. It is being added to according to God's timing and design. In your estimation, are things too small and too slow? God has meticulously ordered all these matters. And not one of the redeemed of Christ will be missed. And not one chosen saint will be brought into Christ's kingdom a moment too soon. Not only the number has been specified, but the timing has been ordained. We cannot say God is sovereign and then go and complain about what he is doing. These facts, this evidence of what God has done and what he will do is given to comfort us and to encourage us not to be despondent or not to fret on account of God's people. Christ is victorious. The battle is already won. The redeemed are already locked in to the precise schedule of God in his divinely preordained calendar that will and must redound to God's eternal glory and his church's everlasting joy. Isaiah ends this chapter with another critique of the powerless idols that the men and women of this world worship. And I suspect that he saw a lot of these idols around about him, or he knew that they would proliferate. But we've already said this in our young people's talk today. Let us be careful not to mock the idol worshipper, only to commit his very sin by denying the sovereignty and the perfection of our God's works in this world. Brothers and sisters, be of good comfort. God is in control. Christ is victorious. The history of time and eternity is being played out before us precisely on track and nothing will prevent its accomplishment. Christ is the Alpha and Omega that we read about in Revelation chapter 21. All our readings are coming together. Christ is the first and the last. He shall say to Zion, his church, he shall say to his people, he shall say to you and me, behold, behold them. Behold who? 
the idol worshippers who worship a Jesus who is not sovereign. He shall say to Zion, behold, behold them. Behold who? The idol worshippers who preach a man-centered gospel that is no gospel at all. He shall say to Zion, his church, behold, behold them. The idol worshippers who thresh wildly with no knowledge and scatter the true wheat instead of winnowing the chaff. He says, I will give to Jerusalem, I will give to Zion, I will give to my church one that bringeth good tidings. Christ himself. The angel said, good tidings of great joy because Christ was born. And that is what a true preacher preaches. The good tidings of Jesus Christ in the full gospel of salvation. We are not discouraged. We are encouraged. We are not discomfited. We are more than comforted. We are not frustrated. We rest with confidence in the sovereign purpose of God and the successful redemptive work of Jesus Christ. All is well. Christ is on his throne. I am comforted in knowing this to be true. And you should be as well. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Amen.